Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal Mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That's the collect appointed for today, the second Sunday of Easter, April the 24th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We had a tough week, the roughest week I've ever had in my life, for certain. Um, our son, Will, the one who had the uh, traumatic brain injury a year ago, um, on Tuesday night passed away. Um, we still don't know what happened. Uh, Suzanne and I were... Um, doing some yoga and working out and um after we finished she went in and said look i'm gonna gonna see what will wants for dinner and went in and came back and said um i need you to come in here right now i don't know what's going on and so i he was on the bed on his stomach i turned him over and uh he was just lifeless and so we gave him um mouth to mouth and chest compressions for the next 20 minutes or so while we called 9-11 and they got somebody here and um we knew, but they worked on him for another 40 minutes, and uh, he's gone. I lost my son. More painful than anything I could ever have imagined. Um, at the same time, we know that he's with Jesus. On Sunday last, for Easter Sunday, we, we sat in the kitchen at our house, which is where we spend a lot of time. And um, me and Suzanne and Will watched um, a movie, and the movie's called Risen. And it's with Joe Fiennes and Tom Felton. And Joe Fiennes plays a um, uh, Roman Tribune who is uh, tasked by Pilate, who is concerned with uh, the the story going round Jerusalem of the uh, uh, resurrected Jew, Jesus. And Joe Fiennes is then tasked with uh, putting this story to rest and finding out the truth. And so along the way he does, he finds out the truth. It's a poignant movie, and we watched it together for the first time. Suzanne and I had seen it a couple of times together, but we had brunch and uh, hung out for about three hours and watched the movie and talked. And um, Will couldn't watch a movie without commenting on it constantly, and uh, so he did. And uh, but he brought some most incredible theological insights I think I've ever seen. You know, it was things that I, I'm looking at him and thinking I've been in this 25 years and been to seminary and spent an awful lot of time studying, and yet. I have I have never thought of the things that he brought to the table that day, and and it was an amazing thing. And um, so many other ways, we we are absolutely certain um, that that he's with Jesus. There's no question in our minds that that's where he is. And we uh, know that all the struggles that he had with anorexia and depression and anxiety and other things um, that that he is finally at peace and his struggle has ended. Um, he didn't struggle with illegal things. He struggled with with sort of feeling too much. He was a very empathetic person, and so he took on everything in the world. And so he was drawn to people who, who would need people. And he gave of himself freely, and, and yet at the same time, there was an impermeability there that, that he took on everything, and, and, it, and it ultimately it overwhelmed him. And we don't know uh, whether the... the uh, exactly what happened yet we just know that that the lord is in control and while we mourn for will we mourn the loss we also give thanks to the lord because of the resurrection of jesus christ we can have confidence and faith 
in knowing that those who know Christ Jesus are, are with him in glory awaiting the coming again when we will all be reunited with one another. And so, so we're, we're, um, while we hurt on a personal level, we are celebrating and rejoicing in our spirits that he's with Jesus and that his struggle is ended and that, that he is at peace. And, and we have no doubt at all in the truth of that. He was a wonderful young man. And it's um, it touched a lot of lives. And God used the, uh, the injury a year ago to touch even more lives than, than we could ever have imagined. He, he made Will uh, somebody who, who, who became a, a point of hope uh, in the COVID world when there was no hope at all. And, and it seemed like nothing good was, was happening and nothing good was ever going to happen again. And then God did this incredible miracle of healing will. And, and I believe that, that it, one of the real reasons that he healed him was in order to save him. A year ago, I'm not sure that I could have honestly said that I know exactly what will's faith is, but, but now I can. And because of that, God, I, I believe God saved will and, and, and utterly, I believe he healed him in order to save him. And I believe that all of this, which restored his and my relationship to a new place, all of that, I believe, was a great mercy of God to us. Because had I not had that last year and had I not seen his faith and known his faith, I wouldn't be able to say this and I wouldn't be able to have the confidence and I wouldn't be able to, to, to transcend the pain in order to say this to you today. And at the end of it all, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus. We're still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, just what we do for the next six weeks prior to Pentecost. And, and I celebrate it in a new way today. I celebrate it in a more powerful way today because Jesus lives and a will does. I, I'm not like those at the tomb of Lazarus who can say, will your brother rise again? You know, And, and they can say, well, I know yeah I, yeah, I know that at the resurrection he will rise again and Jesus has come forth, Lazarus. And he's already done that with Will once. And Lazarus died again and Lazarus is with Jesus in glory now. And in the same way, I see that in Will. And, and, but it's because of the resurrection of Jesus, because I know for a fact that he did come back from the dead three days later. Because of Easter, I can, I can see something differently. I can see the world differently. I can see my son's death differently. I can't, it's not just a fond hope that I will be with him again. It's, it's a sure and certain thing because of the resurrection of Jesus. So the resurrection takes on a different um, perspective for me this year, 2022. And I'm thankful for that perspective in spite of my pain. So I wanted to share that with you. Thank you for the prayers over the, the last year for Will. And, and I ask that you would pray for us this week as we've got a funeral to do on Tuesday. And that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. But, but I'm convinced that it's what God wants me to do. And so I thank you uh, for, for being part of this journey. And, and, and you know, if you want to leave a comment on the uh, podcast or over on the Facebook page at faithandunderstanding.com, so Facebook slash faithandunderstanding.com, then please feel free to go and do that. But uh, let's look at the Word of God today because that's where all our hope comes from. So let's, let's dive in. And the way, by the way, that, that the lectionary works is that after um, Easter until Pentecost, we stay, we read three New Testament lessons. We don't read an Old Testament lesson during these weeks. Um, so we're going to be reading in Acts today is, is our, quote, Old Testament lesson. It's our first lesson, um, and that's Acts 5, 27 to 32. And the, the setting for this is, is, is that the disciples, Peter and John, have healed a man at the beautiful gate. 
uh, a man who had been lame all his life and is radically healed in such a way that that he's not just um, tolerably healed. A man who has never walked is now leaping and jumping and praising God after the healing. And so they were arrested and brought to the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council. And they were brought to them, and and they put them on trial, but they didn't know what to do with it because everybody saw this, and everybody knew that this man had been healed. So that's the the setting here, is is that they've been brought before the council, and uh, the high priest questioned them, John and, and Peter, and said, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What an ironic way of saying that. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter, Peter in compassion, could have said, you're exactly right. That, that's what we want for you, is that you would be covered in this man's blood in order that you might have life abundant and have it in his name that you would be covered in the blood of Jesus, the blood that atones, the atoning sacrifice for sin, the blood that atones once and for all. Yes, I can't want anything more for you than that you be covered in the blood of Jesus. But what the counsel of the high priest, and we assume that's Caiaphas, because he had been before, and we don't know if that changed at Passover or not, but, but he says, we charged you not to teach in this man's name. We told you not to do this. But Peter, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's, that's always a part of Jewish law. We've got to obey God rather than men. That if there's a conflict between God's commandment and Mad's commandment, then it's an easily resolved conflict, and that conflict is always resolved in the favor of obedience to God. It's as simple as that, Peter says. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. You thought you had the last word on Good Friday when you put him to death on the tree on Passover Eve. You thought that was the end of the story, but the story didn't end there with you killing him on a tree. No, it ended with God raising him from the dead. And so it's, it, it's a very deliberate choice of words. There, Peter. Peter doesn't struggle for what to say, and Jesus had told him, "Remember, you'll be dragged before councils and all this stuff on my behalf." And don't worry about it. you're going to say in advance, because at the time, the Spirit's going to give you the thing to say, and that's exactly what happened here. The, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. He, he specifically chooses his words this way because he could have said, "You killed him by hanging him on a cross." He could have said the Romans killed him by hanging him on a cross. He could have said all kinds of things. But he says, no, you killed him by hanging him on a tree. Why does he say that? Well, in Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23, it says, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is accursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the God, Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. They're, they're accursed if you're hanged on a tree. And that's exactly what Peter says you did to him. Which, under the law, under the word of God, would, would imply that Peter's saying that, that Jesus, who died on a tree was accursed, but but he says, instead, whom you killed 
by hanging him on a tree. Jesus hadn't committed any crime punishable by death. That was a kangaroo court justice, is what Peter says. You killed him. Well, if you hang a man on a tree because he's committed a crime punishable by death, then then he's cursed. Peter says, you killed him by hanging him on a tree. That's different. You murdered him. That's not you did the right thing. It's you murdered him. And the proof that he was an innocent man was that God raised him from the dead. And that's, you know, an easy thing, Peter says. Peter, Peter flips the tables and said, here's exactly what happened. And we know that that's exactly what happened. Was a grave injustice occurred rather than a cursed man? is that God raised him from the dead. And not only that, God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter's very, very clear here. And, and he, but he's also speaking directly into the, the situation where they are. And this is prior to Paul coming onto the scene. So at this time still, the, the proclamation of the gospel is pretty much limited to Jerusalem. The proclamation hasn't gone forward from there yet. We know that until Stephen is martyred by being stoned in, in Acts 8, we know that until then, everything had centered around Jerusalem in spite of the fact that Jer- Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. And so he, he's broadening the base just through the region first with Jerusalem and then Judea, which includes Jerusalem, but it's the surrounds of that as well, and then into Samaria, which is what nobody would want to do because they didn't like the Samaritans, and then from there to the end of the world. So still, we are just in Jerusalem, and that's why Peter says that he he did this to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. So Peter's not even thinking more broadly yet. And he's speaking specifically to the council who's accused him of filling Jerusalem with his teaching. Little did he know, the high priest, that this was only the beginning. And it's the way we should continue to look at this. This is only the beginning with everything. You know, that, that, that's, I, I thought a year ago when, when Will was healed, I thought that, that we were at the end and a new beginning. I had no earthly idea a year ago, a year later, I would lose him. It, it's only the beginning. God used that story for his glory a year ago. And, and in this death, even now, he's being glorified. But only because we have the hope and the certain and sure knowledge that Jesus was raised from the dead. And therefore, we know also that Will has been raised from the dead. On the gospel today, we've got John 20, 19 to 31. It's, it's the story of, quote, doubting Thomas. And, and so we always talked about people, talk about people being doubting Thomases when they're skeptical. And, well, you know, sometimes th- there's a reality that, that Thomas was no worse than anybody else. He wanted exactly the same thing that they had experienced. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So this is Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday that this is talking about. And so even though John told us last week in the gospel that he believed when he saw the, the garments that had been removed from Jesus, 
that that even though he believed, he didn't tell us exactly what he did believe. I think he just believed at that point that resurrection had happened because no other explanation held weight. So here that they're hiding for fear of the Jews. They believe that they're going to come after them now as well because they've been accused of stealing the body of Jesus, which is a crime in and of itself. And so they're they're hiding for fear of the Jews, and and yet Jesus comes and appears to them and says to them, peace be with you. And we're told the door was locked. It's interesting because C.S. Lewis says, you know, everybody seems to think Jesus is this vaporous substance that, that because he is a ghost, passes through a wall. And Lewis says, no, it's way more likely that Jesus is actually the solidest object in the universe after his resurrection. And that he passes through the wall because it's insubstantial, not because he is. And at a quantum physical level, that's exactly right. We, because quantum physics can prove that there's no such thing as a solid wall. It's just, it's just all this quantum material that has the appearance of being solid, and then we have an experience of it being solid. And if that's the case, and if Lewis is right, and if quantum physics is right, then we see this in a different way. That after the resurrection, Jesus is more real than anything else. And if you read the book on Lewis's book on on uh, the afterlife called The Great Divorce, you'll see that very same thing. You, you'll see that principle played out in his book that those who come to quote visit heaven from that quote other place find even the grass to be painful to walk on because it's so real in a way they've never experienced before. And so so that's what that's how C.S. Lewis saw this scene where Jesus appears in a locked room. He, he, pass, he didn't pass through the wall. The wall passed through him. He says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They believed. They believed in resurrection when they saw his hands and his side. And it's important that we, we accept the physicality of the resurrection. There was a bodily resurrection from the dead. Because if we don't, then we make a mockery of the incarnation a complete mockery of the incarnation if Jesus is not bodily risen from the dead then then it then it doesn't then the body doesn't matter and the incarnation says the body does indeed matter life this life we're in today matters and Jesus proves it from beginning to end and he said to them again peace be with you shalom as the father has sent me even so i'm sending you receive the holy spirit he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is a temporary, partial giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples for this next season of time until the day of Pentecost when they receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, like a mighty rushing wind, as opposed to Jesus breathing upon them. And it's doing so for a particular reason. It has to do with the forgiveness of sins. So they have to forgive one another is the first thing that has to happen because they all abandoned Jesus in the time of his greatest need. And so here, this, this giving of the Holy Spirit is, is to enable them to live with one another for this next season of time. But, he, but it's a promise that he's sending them in the same way that he has been sent by the Father. And I'm sure they had no earthly idea exactly what he meant by that. I mean, they knew they, that he had been sent for a particular reason. And that is to proclaim and show the coming of the kingdom and the love of God for mankind. Their mission, our mission, is the same. 
And that's exactly what he means. In the same way, I'm sending you. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of his nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. And you know, it's a bad rap for Thomas to be called Doubting Thomas, because the, the truth is, he, he just wanted what they had. It shows that, that there was, these were not um, men who were easily duped or persuaded. They, they were not prepared to believe the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They were not prepared to believe that the one who had been crucified, the one that they knew for a fact died, was in fact risen to life and a different kind of life. He was not prepared to believe without having seen the same witness they had received. And do you know why? It's because the Holy Spirit hasn't been given because that's why we get the Holy Spirit, so that, that, that we can have the same witness and the same testimony and the same certainty that they who saw had. Thomas didn't have that. He had not received the Holy Spirit in order to believe this thing. And it, it's a requirement that we receive the Holy Spirit in order to believe it. But once we receive the Holy Spirit, then we grasp onto that thing as truth, whether we've seen it with our eyes or not. We accept the testimony of the apostles, and we accept the testimony of the Holy Spirit to that truth. We can have the same power, we can have the same certainty we're intended to, in fact, that they who saw that first day had. Thomas hadn't received that. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Eight days, the number eight is an important thing. It's a supernatural thing. Seven is a natural thing. Eight is a supernatural thing. It's seven plus one, and the one is God. And so the seven plus one is eight. And so it's a supernatural day. But what it says is it's a greater fullness than man can attain or understand on his own. That's the meaning of eight in Judaism. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Same thing. Shalom. Shalom. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Can you imagine, honestly, that Jesus said exactly what Thomas said he needed. Jesus, who wasn't there when he said it, in body, offers that to Thomas. And can you imagine standing before the risen Lord, seeing his wounds and having him bid you come and receive the proof you're after? The proof you said you needed in order to move forward. It's not enough to see. uh, I got to go beyond that. I'm not a credulous man, Thomas says. I need more proof than, than even you have received in the sense that I need to physically touch these things to prove that he's real and substantial. A ghost can't offer you that proof. Nothing less than the bodily resurrection of Christ can provide that proof to you. And so that's what he wants, and that's what Jesus bids him to come and get. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He sees and he knows. We don't know whether he actually did it, but he was bid to do it. And therefore, we have to assume that he did that very thing. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Well, we know that the first people who believed were those who saw. And we know by the time when Peter speaks here to the Sanhedrin, we know that others have believed because you've filled 
Jerusalem with his teaching. And so we know that, that they have believed. But, but they've believed because of what happens in Acts 2, which is chronologically earlier than Acts 5. <laughs> and so we know that the Spirit was given in Acts 2 to enable them to be successful in the mission that they've been given to do in a way that Jesus wasn't successful in the way that he had been given to do because humanity had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so they could still doubt. They could still look and say, I I don't know. I don't have the certainty that people who live on the other side of Pentecost have. We can have a certainty that's greater than anything anybody prior to Pentecost could have. We're very fortunate that faith becomes coupled with the Holy Spirit, and then we have certainty that these things are true, and we can know then that those who believe, those who have been given the Holy Spirit, are likewise resurrected. And based on the theological insights that Will had on Sunday, based on his own statements of faith in this last year, I know. I don't question that. I have zero doubt about that because I know the faithfulness of God. And I know that you can't say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. And that's good enough. I know. I know. So Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, John says, but, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, I have life in his name now. That's important. It's important for us to have life in Jesus' name now and to know that we have life in his name now. But I know that that Will has a different kind of life. It's a fuller kind of life, a realer kind of life. That he's been healed of his physical infirmities. That he's been healed of his emotional uh, issues. All those things are gone. Now he stands in the presence of the living God and worships and glorifies him and rejoices in the one seated on the throne and in his son. I don't doubt that. Not a single bit. I'm not hoping that all these things are true. I know they're true. Not because I'm crazy, but because I have the Holy Spirit. And I know these things are true. I know these things. Because I have a knowledge that's accessible to me, that's not accessible to anybody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. And in the final lesson today, which is from Revelation 1, 4 to 8, we, we see John, the revelator, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace. And it's not seven churches in the sense of, of seven buildings. No, it's the church in this place, in Ephesus. It's the church in Thyatira. It's the church in Philadelphia. It's, in, it's a church in all these places. And so we know that, that it's, it's not one building, one gathering of people. No, he, he's saying these are the churches in this part of Asia, the places in these cities and in the, in the areas around those cities in the same way that Jerusalem and Judea are not quite interchangeable because, but Judea, Jerusalem, I mean, is a subset of Judea. And so that, that's the way to look at this. So those seven churches are, are seven regions is a better way to look at it. So he says, grace, and pe- grace to you and peace. Shalom. It's the greatest thing we can ever experience is this shalom of God, the peace of God. Uh, a year ago when we were struggling with what's, what's going on here when Will was in a coma, you know, at first they were chasing uh, pulmonary embolism, and then they were chasing this weird heart anomaly, and, and neither of those was right, and then we were chasing pneumonia for a period of time. And finally, after they realized, well, he doesn't have pneumonia either, they came in and they said, we think this is part of the body's inflammatory response, so there's been a cytokine storm. 
which should be a familiar term from COVID, that there was a cytokine storm that had happened. I said, so what are you going to do? And they said, we, we think for now, we're just going to let him rest. So I looked up what, the, what they had told me, and, and I realized exactly what was needed was shalom. It was peace. It was, it was them to leave him alone. And stop treating him for phantom illnesses that didn't exist. They believed 100% that these things did exist. They believed that he had a pulmonary embolism that he might die any second. They believed that he had a heart anomaly that might kill him. They believed that he had um, pneumonia and that that might kill him. And they were treating all these things because they had a full and complete belief that those things were true. But they were not. And I knew they weren't. From the beginning, when they told us he had a pulmonary embolism, my response was, okay, we'll pray that that thing dissipates because they couldn't give him any kind of blood thinner because it could cause a brain bleed. I said, we'll pray it dissipates. And, and she looked at me and she said, I don't think you understand the severity of this. I said, I understand completely the severity of this. Let me explain to you what, what, what your fear is. And I explained it. And she said, yeah, you got it right. And then I knew there wasn't a heart anomaly, just knew that I knew that I knew. And then I also knew that he didn't have pneumonia and it infuriated the, the doctor at that time, the one who would replaced the first one, because she was absolutely convinced that, that he did have it. And they tested him twice and it came back negative. And she said, oh, that's because we're giving him these antibiotics and it's producing a false negative. And then they did a bronchoscopy. They ran a tube down his throat and suctioned material out of his lungs and grew that. And then two days later, she said, he doesn't have pneumonia after she had jumped down my throat one day because she didn't think I took pneumonia seriously. I did. But I take God more seriously. I take his healing power more seriously. I was not afraid of pneumonia because I knew that God had told me that Will would live and that he would be healed. I believed that with all my heart and I was right. And so I prayed over Will that day. I prayed over him every day after that just for one thing, shalom, for peace. The same thing that Jesus wishes the disciples in every instance that we see there. The same thing that he wishes here. Grace and peace to you. Because when you have peace, then you're not casting all over the place in fear. And what I watched was doctors who were acting in fear. But they were acting in fear with certainty. And that certainty was misguided because it was led by fear. So grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. There's only one of those. (laughs) there's only one it's the one who is himself eternal he was and is and is to come it's a powerful statement and it's the reason we can have that certainty because he was and is and is to come nothing can stop him nothing and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and we see those a little later in the revelation. We see these seven spirits before the throne of God. Those same seven spirits that are always there before the throne of God. And those seven plus him, perfection, completion, and more than natural. It's a supernatural number. So the seven spirits are there to testify before the one who is on the throne. And so those seven spirits, he says, I'm giving you grace and peace from the one who is on the throne and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And more than that, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. We don't yet see that kingdom established, but we know that ultimately he is the ruler of all the kings on the earth because he's the one who gives them their thrones and allows them to continue to reign. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that is exactly the prayer that we need to pray. You see that? He's freed us from our sins by his blood. And that's exactly what the council, the chief priest says. You, you're trying to cover us in this man's blood. And, and, and he does. 
Peter's response is to cover him in that man's blood. I'm going to bring his blood on you. You killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead. But it's important that you accept that so that you can have forgiveness of sins. That's the beauty of this statement that Peter makes is, is that that's the only way they can get forgiveness. That's the only way they can get eternal life is to have that man's blood brought upon them and for them to bear witness to him. His blood is the atoning sacrifice. It's the atonement necessary to reconcile us to God. And then thereby, at the same time, then reconciling us to the world. It's important. and He's the one that, to whom we give all praise. He made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. You, we weren't before that, but we are now. Because of him, he made us this. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We're joining with the praises that we're going to see a little later in Revelation 5 when they praise him in the same exact way. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him because that's what they were told, that he would come in the same way that he left. And every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Why will they wail on account of him? Because they realize that, that he is the only hope they ever had and they turned away from him. So they will wail because he comes again in judgment. And they will be found wanting because they failed to believe. So as, as long as we draw breath, there's hope. There's hope. And I saw it a year ago. I saw it. There was breath and there was hope. And then I saw Tuesday night, there was no breath. There's no longer hope of Will coming back to this life. That hope that was found a year ago and that was, was, was um, found not wanting, but was um, fully realized, is replaced now with a different kind of hope in a different kind of life. And it's no less certain to me than what I knew a year ago when they told me he wasn't going to live, when they told me he had a pulmonary embolism, when he told me he had the heart anomaly, when they told me that he had the, um, the pneumonia. I knew that I knew that I knew that I'd heard God speak. And I knew it with all my heart. And, and so that hope has been replaced with a better hope because Will has a better life. He, he's free. He's completely set free of all that beset him in this life. He is healed and whole and he's waiting for us to be the same. Now he can look on us with pity. He can look on us as those who struggle. He says, it ends with, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. That's it. That's the final word. <laughs> That's the final word from God. I am. Remember that was Yahweh? I am. I'm. Now he's filling it out. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's all that matters. Still, the assurance that we need. The Almighty is the one who sent the one, the faithful witness, the one whose blood covers our sins, frees us from our sins. But he frees us from more than that. Ultimately, he frees us not just from sins, but from weakness, from infirmity, from all the stuff that we struggle with in this life. We're all set free from that by his blood, period, end of sentence. And I know it more clearly today than I knew it a week ago. I know my faith is more certain today than it was a week ago. And what intervened? My son's death and his resurrection because of his faith in Jesus. And he's given me the Holy Spirit to have that certainty, and I have it today. And I know it without any question. And I invite you to come and say, I believe. 
I believe. I believe and I've seen. I believed first and then I saw. God's given us a great gift this week. It's a very difficult week, but my faith is stronger today than it was a week ago. Thank you for being with me today. God bless you, and I hope he blesses your week in a different way than he blessed our week, but blesses you nonetheless.